In episode 453 with Erin Falconer, we talk all things friendship, from how to have more friends, how to be a good friend, how to break up with your friends, and so much more. The following episode of The Melissa Ambrosini Show is ad-free and uninterrupted. Welcome to The Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because I have the amazing Erin Falconer back on the show for the second time, and we are diving deep into all things friendships, how to be a better friend, how to have deeper, more meaningful relationships. We also talk about the different types of friendships and how many you can really nourish in your inner circle. We also dive into how to call in more soul sisters, how to consciously break up with your friends, and so much more. And for those of you that haven't heard my first episode with Erin, which was episode 97, way back when, and it was titled Do Less But Achieve More, and it is such an amazing episode. But if you've never heard of her, she is an author, digital entrepreneur, and an associate psychotherapist. And in 2018, she released the critically acclaimed self-improvement female empowerment book, How to Get Shit Done, Why Women Need to Stop Doing Everything So They Can Achieve Anything. She is the editor-in-chief and co-owner of Pick the Brain. And in 2017, she launched the Pick the Brain podcast, which ranks consistently in the top 20 in the health and self-improvement categories on iTunes. Forbes magazine named her blog one of the top 100 most influential sites for women, which is so amazing. And she has been designated one of the top digital entrepreneurs in Los Angeles by LA Confidential magazine, as well as being honored by Cadillac and Refinery29 as one of the top seven women changing the digital landscape for good. In 2014, the Wall Street Journal included Erin in their prestigious Women of Note, In 2018, she was recognized as an archetype of change and her new book, How to Break Up with Your Friends, is out right now. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 452. And now without further ado, let's bring back on for the second time, the amazing Erin Falconer. Erin, welcome back to the show. I am so excited to have you here again for another episode. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Yes, I had a delicious breakfast, actually, something that I have often. It is Greek yogurt. I put a little bit of flax oil in it, stir it up. I had a little bit of chia seeds, some granola, a little bit of honey, and then frozen wild blueberries. And I kind of like mix it and it's delicious. Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Yum, yum, yum. I love wild blueberries so much. Yes. They are just such a powerhouse. They are. And honestly, they taste so much better than regular blueberries. I literally said to my husband this morning, it's wild blueberries or nothing. <laughs> I agree. I agree. 
Now, this is your second time back on the show. You first came on way back when in episode 97, which we will link to in the show notes for anyone who wants to go back and listen to that episode all about doing less but achieving more. It is such a good conversation, but I am so excited to have you on today because we are chatting about your brand new book, How to Break Up with Friends, which is a very edgy title. And I have to say that I absolutely loved this book. And you know how much I love it because I wrote an endorsement for it for the inside cover, which is very exciting. But I read it in three days. I could not put it down. So tell us, what made you write this book on this topic? Yeah, well, you know what? Like most things in my life, it was not a linear journey. As you mentioned, I had my first book and it was very firmly rooted in the female productivity, female empowerment space. And as I was looking to do the follow-up, I kind of, you know, six or seven months later, I was going down a bunch of dead ends. I couldn't really lock into anything. So I was getting actually pretty frustrated. And I woke up one morning at like 6am, half awake, half asleep. And this phrase, how to break up with your friends was just in my head. And I was like, what? I tried to go back to sleep. I couldn't really go back to sleep. Um, And for the next couple of days, it just kept surfacing, kept surfacing. Finally, I was like, what is this? What is this all about? And so I started to look at my own friendships. And right away, when I started to look at them, I was like, people that I would outwardly say were like really great friends, you know, BFFs. When I looked at the relationships, I was like, I found so many built up frustrations, resentments. In some of the relationships, I felt like I missed them, even though we were in a relationship. And I was like, what is this all about? And what shocked me the most in that was that I couldn't believe that this was the first time I was actually doing this and looking at my friendships in this kind of intentional way. And I kind of had this light bulb moment where I was like, this is really wild. You know, we are a society that is obsessed with information about ourselves. You know, we're eating, we know every calorie of the food we're eating, every gram of protein. We wear watches to track every step we take. Marie Kondo taught us to hold up a chair or a sweater and say, does this bring me joy? And yet the people in our lives, like the people, you know, the most important thing, we have very little reflection on, especially when it comes to this group. And so it was in that that I said to myself, wow, we have this kind of untapped, unchecked group of people in our friends that we are kind of just dialing in. And what if we were really intentional about, you know, making choices about the people that are in our lives, really kind of recommitting to these relationships, the ones that we ascertain are still right for us. What an amazing source of energy and support we have the ability to cultivate right in front of us. And, and I think, you know, in terms of productivity, as I said, it's not really a direct line, but wow, how, how amazing that could be to bring that energy from this, this source out into all the other things we do. And yeah, so it was in that I was like, wow, I think this is a really kind of, not just an important topic, but one that is really not talked about a lot. And I thought this was, I sold this title February 23rd, 2020. And in America, we went into lockdown three weeks later. I thought it was an important topic then. I could not have imagined what was just about to happen, where all of these people, these friends are ripped out of our lives. And as we go into these micro bubbles, and there's a whole new set of kind of reflection and kind of reckoning that need, that, that, that needed to begin to happen. 
Yes, absolutely. And we're not taught how to be a good friend because essentially like when you read the title of your book, How to Break Up with Friends, I thought, okay, this is going to be a book about how to break up with people, but it's actually not. It's really about how to be a really good friend. Right, exactly. And I've recommended it to so many of my girlfriends. And like I said before, I read it in three days because there's so much great information on how to be a better friend. Because ultimately, our relationships are the single most important determinant in how long and how well we live, which you talk about in the book. So talk to us about why female friendships are so important now more than ever. Yeah. So I think for me, one of the things is like, you know, we've come out of here and I think Australia is the same, right? You guys were kind of on a pretty serious lockdown and there was so much chaos and calamity, you know, partners working from home, you juggling children and school from home. And even though there was so much clutter and chaos and like people kind of up in your face, there was still a growing sense of loneliness and isolation and on almost panic, right? And I think so the ability to be able to step into other relationships where the stakes are not like, they're very important, but the stakes are not as high necessarily as somebody that you're, you know, sharing financial responsibility with or children with became even more important. So you could download, so you could commiserate, so you could have shared experiences. And I think, as you said, they're not talked about. And another kind of epiphany I had is when I was going down, why is that? You know, I'm a therapist and in, in traditional therapy, there is individual therapy, there's couples therapy, there's family therapy. There's no such thing for friends. There's no such thing as friendship therapy. And, and while I'm not suggesting that friend couples run out and go see a therapist, what that meant to me was that there's no kind of acceptable language out there in the zeitgeist for navigating conflict within these relationships. There's no sort of blueprint about how to get into new ones, how to get out of existing ones that no longer serve you. And so we're kind of just, we shy away for conflict. We shy away, we numb to conflict. And and when we do that, you, you the thing is when you numb to some part of it, you unfortunately don't get to choose where you numb. You numb across the board and then you're numbing to the joy and the support of that relationship as well. And so I feel like it is, you know, for women particularly, it's hard to self-advocate. It's hard to say when something bothers you, when you know, to put your feelings and your vulnerability up on the line. And because we don't do it in friendship and we don't practice it, we shy away from it. And I think we've gotten fairly good at being able to practice it and communicate it and kind of self-advocate in our romantic and family relationships. And I think that's just because it's out there in the zeitgeist in a way that it isn't for friendship. And that's what was really important for me about this book is as you said, you know, there's only one chapter on how to break up with your friends out of 10. There are nine on the importance of friendship and how to do it better. And so this book is really designed to get the conversation started so that while this might feel awkward and foreign at first, we get to a point where it's just like run of the mill stuff. Like I'm going to advocate, I'm going to show up for myself. I'm going to clearly set boundaries. I'm going to let the other person know when they've crossed those boundaries. And I'm also going to really show up and commit to this relationship in a way that I haven't consciously up until now. And I think that's really important. I wish this was taught in high school. I wish there was a subject on how to be a better friend. And you hit the nail on the head there. Like we have therapy for couples and for ourselves, but 
there's so much that just gets swept under the carpet when it comes to friendships. And I love that you talk about in the book across the board, scientists, psychologists, they all agree that close friendships improve your life physically, mentally, and emotionally. And in fact, friends can even reduce our stress levels. But many people feel really alone, even if they have friends. And nearly half of us actually feel alone. And two out of five people feel like their relationships are not meaningful. Now, these numbers are higher than just one year ago. So what's going on? Well, I think this is also very pandemic related. I think the people have been so isolated and are honestly not used to, you know, socializing and reaching out. And I think a lot of people have forgotten how to do that. And I think existentially, this has taken an incredible toll that we will see the consequences of for years to come. And it's so funny because you talked about the science, which I bring up in the book. And one of the things that I was struck by, and there's like a million different studies that I talk about in there. But one of the things that's now being considered in the United States by the the Surgeon General is on wellness visits in the United States, and I'm sure there's something similar in Australia, you get asked, like when you fill out your paperwork, how many cigarettes do you smoke a week? How many alcoholic drinks do you have a week? And now they're considering adding how many times have you had a meaningful social engagement per week? And it's that fundamental to not just mental health, but physical health. There are studies in the book and you've read it, so you know, but like having a close-knit group of friends ups your immunity to the common cold by something like 200 times. It radically reduces your risk of heart disease, heart attack. And should you get sick or suffer from those, your recovery time is cut in half. So these are, you know, these, these relationships where we talk about it and it's like, oh, well, wouldn't that be great? Couldn't this help me out? They're not just nice to have. They're fundamental. They're cornerstone to good physical and mental health. And I think so we almost have a responsibility to really kind of tap into these relationships and see how can we do these better? How can we make these more meaningful? Because so much is riding on it. Absolutely. Our physical and mental health is riding on it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's often something that we don't take seriously. You know, we go to the gym and we drink our water and we eat well, but what about nourishing our friendships? And uh, I, I love in the book, Robin Dunbar said that cognitively, we have the limit for 150 people. And the number of people that we consider good friends is 50. The people that we would turn to with a problem or a secret, 15 people and then closest friends, five people. And that you need to interact with that inner circle once a week in order to stay close. So talk to us about that. Yeah, so funny because as I was writing this book, and you know, I have like literally conversation starters. If you're having conflict with a friend, I've, and so many times I was like, oh God, this, is this, does this feel like basic? Does this feel like people will already know this? And Time and again, I was like, no, we don't because we don't talk about this and there are no parameters. And so I think why like that stat that you just read is so important is because it's one thing to be like, you know, are you hanging out with friends? It's the other thing. It's another thing to say, are you hanging out with them meaningfully? Because as you can see, there's an entire range there. If people can consider 150 people, it's much different than five. But those five you need to commit to and you need to see with great regularity 
You can't just dial it in. In order to get the benefit of this, you really need to show up in those relationships. And so what that comes down to, again, we're talking about these emotional, warm, you know, relationships. And yet there's like a clinical, just math-based angle to it where it's like, this is banned from a bandwidth perspective, what you can do and what you should do. And so if you're looking at your portfolio, you're like, I've got 25 best friends, mathematically, you can't really not in the way that we're talking about here. So let's get our definitions clear. If we're, are we talking inner circle? Because then 25 mathematically just doesn't, you can't do what you need to do to be really in friendship with these people in the way that we're talking about. Otherwise, we've got a different definition of what friendship is. And so there's much to get clear on. And it feels counterintuitive, again, because we're talking clinically and mathematically. But at the same time, it's it, it's just that, the starting point. And the, the information is really kind of clinical in a way, you know, part of it at least. I feel like it's almost a relief knowing, okay, for my inner circle, we've got five, right? For me, that's like, oh, thank gosh. Like, thank goodness I don't have to, um, well, I physically can't maintain to the level that I really want, to the quality that I really want, 25 people. It's just especially being a new mom and wanting to be the best wife and the best mom and run a business wanting to do all of those things and nourish five friendships, like, yes, that feels doable. But when you say like 25 or even 150, I'm like, whoa, that's so overwhelming. So I love that. I love that. When we look at it mathematically, that is what we have the capacity for. So I feel like it kind of lets people off the hook a little and that we can go, okay, who are these five people that I want to nourish and that I really want to invest my time and my love and my energy into? And I recently had two of my best girlfriends come on the podcast for this exact reason. So I have never done that before. I brought two of my girlfriends on, Sally and Tamsin. It's so good because I get asked so often on social media, how do I call in my like-minded soul sisters? How do I nourish those friendships? And then how do I consciously uncouple or consciously break up with them? Like you say, right, sure. So these are common questions that I get asked a lot. And then your book landed on my desk. So that was, that gave me a lot of resources to pull from. But then I thought, okay, why not bring on two of my best girlfriends and we answer all of your questions and we chat about it. It went over two episodes and it's done so well. Like it's been downloaded so many times. So it goes to show that people are really craving this. They're really craving these tools and your book is full of them, which I love. And I just highly recommend everyone grab a copy and go and read it. And another thing that I think is really important to mention is like you talk about in the book that often when life gets full or when life gets quote unquote busy, I don't use the word busy. I say full. I know. I hate the word busy. Yeah. Yeah. When life gets full, (laughs) we look at our calendar and the first things that we delete are the walk with Sarah or the cup of tea with Kate or the Pilates class with Nat. You know, we delete those things in order to create space, but they're the things that fill up our soul. They're the things that, and when I read that in your book, I have literally changed my perspective on things because I was that person. Whenever my life got so full, I would delete all of my social things and then wonder why I felt a bit resentful. And 
now it's like, no, no, no. How can I shorten that hour meeting to 15 minutes? How do I even need to have a meeting? Can I send a voice message instead? You know, so getting super creative with our time so that we still have space for those beautiful catch ups so that we can drop deep and go intimate with our core five in a circle. Because, like we've said so many times, that is so beneficial for our physical and our mental health. So, I absolutely love that in the book. It really, really flipped something for me. And uh, you know how you also talk about, I used to be that person that's like, please cancel, please cancel, please cancel, because I was so overwhelmed or so full, like, please cancel. And then I literally, I was such a good manifester that I'd get a text from that person saying, oh, do you mind if we rain check? And I was like, oh, thank goodness. Like, not because I don't want to see them, but because I've got so much on my plate. So I feel like we have it all backwards. Like we totally. keep deleting. And it feels counterintuitive. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I was the exact same. And you know, as you know, I talk about it in the book, especially when I was running my internet company and like I would get a text at four o'clock from a friend canceling and I would literally be like, yes. <laughs> like I would have a whole, and it, again, it's not because the way I felt about her, but I was like, Oh my God, thank God. But the thing is, is that it is in those moments, especially when you are really busy or your schedule is full, that if you can carve out the time, you know, for a 45 minute coffee or walk or something with where you're having this connection with one of your important people in your life, one of the important friendships, it's so restorative. It takes your mind off of the chaos and the drudgery of life. It often gives you a new perspective, some levity, and then you take that energy into your next day. And all of a sudden you're accomplishing things in a much more efficient, a much happier way. And so while it feels counterintuitive to carve that time out to hang out with a friend, it is actually one of the more productive things you can do because it revitalizes you, it restores you. And that is a way better energy to take into the next day than a frazzled one or a frustrated one. And so this is the beauty of these relationships because you can kind of dip into them, give and take energy and dip out of them. And these are the only relationships you can really do that with. You can't do that with your romantic partner. You certainly can't do that with your newborn child. You can't, you know, these are things that you kind of never really dip in and out of. You're always in them. And so it's really important to commit to finding those moments weekly with these people and then really being present when you are with them. That's the other thing, right? You don't want to be scheduling drinks with five friends and it's loud and everybody's scrolling Instagram. That might be fun, but that's not restorative. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. So do you think it's beneficial that we sit down with ourselves? I know you have so many exercises throughout the book, which I absolutely love and I did them. But do you think it is beneficial that we sit down and we kind of make a list of all of our friendships and which ones are in the top five and then in the outer circle and then the circle out of that? Like, do you think it is beneficial that we sit down and we get really clear on this and work out, okay, well, who is also showing up for me? And I love in the book, you talk about having a conversation and even like an agreement on what do you have the capacity for? I love this so much. Imagine if we just said, hey, babe, like, I really want to go deep with you. What do you have the capacity for right now? Like, imagine if we just did that. Right. Just we're open and upfront and like nothing really more on it. Just communicating what, you know, what are your thoughts on this? I'd love to do this. How are you feeling? Great. All of a sudden there's a real clarity there. We spend so much time talking ourselves out of saying things 
or creating narratives about what the other person might think and why we should or shouldn't do it. And all of this is just a waste of energy. There's a very clear path and that's being direct and communicating either your questions or your concerns or your also important, the positive things you feel about the other person. So yeah, it's really important to do this work. So the first thing, and I talk about this in the book, is the absolute litmus test of where you kind of stand with the person is take a blank piece of paper and a pen or write it down on a computer. I prefer, you know, the tactile of a pen and paper, but whatever your choice is, and just write down the people in your life and pay very close attention to how you feel when you see everybody's name just appear in front of you. Do you feel, ooh, is there a clench? Do you feel a joy and like you feel compelled towards that person? Do you feel nothing at all? That's probably the biggest red flag. And you've got to note that and kind of be like, okay, how did we get here? Why am I having this kind of gut reaction? And you start to take it from there. And I think just writing down all of the people that in your your life, you start to go, well, where would that, is this person a good friend? Are we still good friends? Let me get clear on this. You know, there's about 150 people probably be able to write down any one person would probably be able to write down at least probably, you know, 30 to 40 off the top of your head. Where do these just energetically, where do you feel connected to these people? Just seeing them written down and then start to really do the work of like, who is the inner group? Who are somebody that I really like to see, but they're not my ride or die. I'm not calling them when I'm having like a major, you know, major problem, but I do like seeing them. So that's a different kind of tier of friendship. Then you have your friends that are kind of, I call them hyphen friends. So they're like your work friends or your mom friends or your whatever. And there's going to be some overlap with like your core group and some of these other groups. But it's great to kind of categorize them and get clear. Okay, this is where I'm going to spend the bulk of my energy. This is These are the relationships. I'm not so sure if they make sense for where I'm at right now. These are the ones that are really nice to have, but I don't need... And this is what I get from those relationships. A lot of times what we also do is we expect everything from everybody. And, you know, like being a good friend means you need to show up for me in every single way. And that's not true. Nobody can be your everybody. Only you can be your everybody. So what is this relationship? What are the hallmarks of this relationship? That And just getting clear on that, this is the person I go to when. This is the person I go to when. This is when this person comes to me. And really having an understanding that, it takes also a lot of pressure off of, you know, needing that feeling disappointed by this person because having a clear kind of expectation of what this relationship delivers for you, as I said, take some pressure off of it, take some disappointment that not everybody can be, well, nobody can be everything. And so just get really clear on what the value proposition of all of these, you know, at least the inner ring, what that is for you. And just the consciousness of it all allows you to start shifting energy, not in a calculated way, but now you've brought something to the forefront and your energy will naturally shift into those different kind of buckets and zones. It's the lack of awareness that is the biggest problem here, not what to do about it. It's just the lack of a, let's bring this conscious and forward and start thinking and orbiting around these relationships in a different way. I love the chapter on how to be a better friend. And I feel like this is the first step doing this exercise is the first step to be a better friend. But what are some other non-negotiables in great friendships? Well, I think, first of all, there needs to be honesty. You need to commit to this. You need to commit to the relationship, not necessarily to the other person, although it would be a cool conversation to have marriages, people do, you know, recommitment ceremonies. So I'm not sure that's for everybody, but at least in your own bubble, say this is a relationship I'm really going to commit to. You need to bring 
positivity. It's okay to, you know, to download or to, you know, you're not always going to be in a positive space of mind, but net net, you need to be showing up with positivity in this relationship. And again, life can happen. And so you want to show up authentically. And if something is really going on negative in your world, you want to also be able to feel comfortable and safe to bring that to vulnerability is really important. And, you know, I'm somebody that was always in friendships like the fixer. And, you know, I talk about the different types of friends, you know, friendship categories. So I would fall in really like that fixer department where friends will come to me and say, Oh my gosh, this is happening. What should I do? I've got this big job interview. What should I say? What should I do? Does this sound good? Let me run something by you. And as a result of that, I realized I never show up with vulnerability. And, you know, on its surface, I was like, Oh, I think it's because it's going to kind of ruin my friendship cred. Like I'm the person that people come to. So I never want to show that I don't have the answers for everything. But when I looked deeper, it was just my own fear. I was I was scared to be vulnerable. And so you want to look at ways you can open up the aperture and, and share more. And it doesn't mean I'm going to lead with problems or fears or insecurities, but I'm also not going to be repel, you know, or run from them when they start to show up. I it's important to be able to share a dynamic version of yourself with your friends. So you want to look at ways that, as I said, you can open up the aperture. And that's the beauty of friendship is that it's this great relational thing. But one of the most powerful things I think is that friends, these relationships have the ability to reveal different parts of yourself and to unlock different parts of yourself. And for anybody that's in, you know, interested remotely in like evolution and self growth, it's all about unlocking different parts of yourself, exploring different, discovering different parts of yourself. And there's no better way to do that than relationally through the specific relationship of friendship. Absolutely. So for someone listening, who wants to maybe call in some more aligned friendships, where do we start? Besides doing the self-inquiry within ourselves and getting really clear on what we have the capacity for, how can we call in more aligned soul sisters? Yeah. So the self-audit part is very important. Otherwise, you're kind of operating blindly. It's hard to get a tight starting lineup when you know it's hard to be seen in the way you want to be seen if you're not even sure what that is. So that first part is really, really important. But given that you've done that and you kind of have an understanding or a vision for yourself, a current vision and where you, you know, projecting out into the future of where you want to go, the thing that I think is really important is kind of making sure that you have people that number one, are not all the same. You want to have the same core values as everybody in your world. That is very important, but you don't want to create an echo chamber also at the same time. That is number one, kind of the death of creativity. You will not be able to reveal different parts of yourself because it's, again, you're kind of just mirroring back to each other the same thing. So it's important, I think, to really be curious about people, about find seeking out people that have similar core values, but a different life experience, whether that is racially, religiously, they lived in different parts of the world, they were raised in a different way, they, you know, whatever it is, but you want to have different life experiences present in your world, because not only is it important for you, and I think for just just keeping relationships dynamic and fresh, right? 
But at least in the United States, and I'm not sure how it is in Australia, we are in a very, you know, I'm sure you've read a very polarized situation. It is very divisive at the moment. And I personally think the only way to get on the other side of that is to be able to do it in your own world and then to energetically expand it out collectively. I don't see another way around this problem. And so I don't know what the landscape is in Australia, but certainly when you do these things on a micro level, on an individual level, I think that's the only way to then be able to, you know, expand these ideas and and the acceptance and the curiosity in, in, in a larger sense. And so, again, these relationships are not just nice to have. There is a real responsibility around them, I think, in so many different ways. And then you have to put yourself out there. You have to put yourself out there energetically. And I say this all the time. It's funny because this book is called How to Break Up with Your Friends. But there is the, you know, the very next chapter is and how to make new friends. And so you want to be able to, I say, you know, give the example of like, let's say you have a dog. Instead of just walking your dog, go to a dog park. You know, right off the bat, there are other people. You have at least one shared common interest and you're all standing in the same room. Put yourself out there. You know, if you like to ride your bike, find a bike riding group. Again, you know you have, instead of just going on a solo ride, you know you have at least one thing in common with this group of people you love to ride bikes. But put yourself in situations where you are A, open energetically to, you know, the magic of the universe. Once you put your, just kind of deciding, hey, I need to channel or manifest a different, you know, a new energy in my friend group or a new player or two in my friend group, making the decision a to do it and then putting yourself in situations you're open energetically but then you've got to get actually into the situations where you can meet new people and it's certainly daunting especially if that's you know if that you haven't practiced that at all but you have to be willing to put yourself out there it it is so similar in a way to a romantic situation you're never going to find people just sitting in your room wishing for them you've got to go out there and put yourself out there and that's very similar it may feel awkward It's just because we haven't done it before and we need to start doing it, you know, and then it won't feel awkward anymore. But we can live in our heads or we can get out there and act, take action. And and there's only one that actually (laughs) helps you achieve anything. And that's through acting. Absolutely. I feel like we could all do with treating our friendships a little bit more like our romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. Like you say, we put up with a lot more in our friendships that than we would in our romantic relationship. We put up with ghosting. We put up with the silent treatment. Like there's no way in the world I would put up with that in a relationship. I would be like, hey, buddy, what is going on? Like, what's the story here? Like if Nick just ghosted me, or like gave me the silent treatment, I'd be like, what, what is going on? We need to talk about this. But we put up with it in friendships. And I'm the type of person that I would so much rather have a potentially uncomfortable conversation about something than sweep something under the carpet. However, I know that for a majority of people, sweeping things under the carpet is their default because the enormity of the feelings that come up within them when potentially having to have a tough conversation is so huge that they would just rather ignore it, sweep it under the carpet, ghost. For me, like that 
I just want to have a, let's just have a conversation. Oh, you know, let's just get it all out. Let's just, even if we part ways, it's okay, but let's just have a loving, open, practice CCC, crystal clear communication conversation about this so that we can both move on. Whether that is, whether that is that we continue with our relationship and it gets upgraded and we go to the next level or we depart, whatever the outcome is, I would much rather just have a conversation about it in person, preferably, so that we can move forward. Because the unknown and the stewing over, did I do something? What's going on? Where is this friendship, this loop that's left open? It takes up so much mental energy. And that is not good for our mental health. So, what is your suggestion? For someone who, like me, wants to have a conversation with someone, but the other person doesn't want to. Like, what do we do then if they're completely closed, completely shut off, defensive, maybe even angry? Like, then what do we do? So here's the thing. And I'm so glad you brought up the parallel or the fact that relationships are parallel, but our reaction to behavior within friendships is not parallel with what we do with romantic relationships. And I think it's really a good if you are having a concern or a question about a friendship, drop it into the romantic relationship scenario and see how you would respond. And that is often exactly how you should be responding in friendship, except we just don't think of it yet. We haven't drawn those connections. And so it's really important. Um, What I would say to you is if you are trying to engage with somebody in a direct and communicative way, and they don't want to, or they're not emotionally available to do that, then you need to start making choices. Is this kind of relationship, regardless of how you feel about the person, does the relationship, is it something that still is viable for you? Can you have a relationship with somebody where somebody is so closed off when conflict arises or when something arises that needs to be talked about and they can't talk about it? A lot of times, the unfortunate answer is that person probably needs to do work on themselves before they can fully engage with you. If you're totally closed off or avoidant and you're running from conflict, that is probably something you're not going to, that's a larger problem than just what's going on between the two of you. And that person really needs to do their own work. The second thing is, I totally agree that these conversations are best to be had in person or over the phone so that there's no kind of miscommunication. You can be clear. But the bottom line of what these conversations are about is that information is communicated and received. And so in certain instances, if you know that you are dealing with somebody that is very reactive, very defensive, leads with big emotions, then sometimes you don't want to have an in-person or an on-the-phone because you know that they're going to react without listening. They're not going to receive the information. They're going to throw it right back to you. And so you really do have to kind of know your audience. And if you are dealing with a person like that, my advice is to write a very comprehensive email where you lead with love. And it is out of love and respect for this relationship that I am communicating this to you today so that when they receive that, they will probably still have the big emotional reaction, but then they can comfortably calm down and come back to it. And then hopefully coming in a calmer state of mind, be able to receive some of what is being said, because that's probably the only way you're going to be able to get on the other side of this is if the information and what you're trying to communicate is actually received. So 
it's not really the coward's way out to send an email if you understand that that's maybe the only way that this information can be received, right? But all things equal, if you can have a conversation in person or on the phone, you should. You should lead with that. It's the scariest, but it's also the one that generates the most respect and the biggest show of respect to this relationship and the other person. But it is really difficult if somebody's completely closed off. And then you also need to ask yourself the question, do you want to be in relationship with someone who is completely closed off and who you feel like you can't even have a conversation without it blowing up or them reacting in a very heated way. Yeah. And that's the thing. And you need to make a decision around that. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to, if you decide that that is not something that you can tolerate or works for you in a relationship, then you need to take action around that. And it doesn't mean again, that you don't love or have really fond feelings for this person, but the way they interact with you relationally is just not supportable, you know, for you. And then you need to, unfortunately, you know, make a choice around that. And the choice that if you make the choice to exit or to put pause on that relationship, I would underscore the need for that person, in your opinion, to do their own work. And then you'll be open to coming back to this. But you can't be that for that person. You can't work out that for that person. This is That's bigger than just what's happening between the two of you relationally. Yeah. And you can't do the work for them and you can't tell them that they need to go and do the inner work. Right. It's just if somebody is not going to be able to face any conflict, all relationships of any sort of weight or power have friction. They have rupture. They have conflict, especially if they're over you know, a long period of time. I mean, you know, two humans coexisting in any way, regardless of, of how strong of the positive feelings are for the other person, you're going to rub up. You are going to have friction. You are going to have at least minimal conflict. And you want to feel safe and comfortable to be able to deal with it and then get on the other side of it. The relationship should be strong enough to hold these conflicts and these just reasonable human emotions that come up over time. If you're engaging with anybody in a meaningful way, at a certain point, you're going to rub up against them in the wrong way. And that's fine. That means you're in a healthy, normal relationship. If you're skipping through life in relationships that never have had a blip, then we might have a different definition of what a deep committed relationship is because I don't see, you know, humans are flawed. People make mistakes, you know, and so even the best people. And so when you put two of them together in a relationship, there's no way that you're not going to, people are not going to make mistakes, mess up, say things they shouldn't, behave in a way they shouldn't. Now that shouldn't be their defining characteristic or the way they operate in the world, but we're human. We make mistakes. You want to be able to be in relationships that can hold conflict so that you can work through it and get on the other side. And those top five, you know, five or six friends, they need to be able to hold the weight of that. I think it's really important that we highlight this because there's that Barbie, I call it the Barbie, the perfect life. You know, I think a lot of people think that good friendships or perfect friendships are perfect, that they don't have conflict, that they never argue Like people look at me and my friends and they're like, you have the most perfect friendship circle and like you guys must never fight. It's not that we fight, but like, yes, we share things that come up that might be uncomfortable to share. And I think it's really important that we let go of this ideal that friendships are meant to be perfect. I feel like a really beautiful inner circle friendship is one where you can say, hey, that actually hurt my feelings when you said that or when you when you made that joke like it actually hurt my feelings and i know you were only joking but it actually hurt my feelings and i know it's silly 
But I just wanted to express that. And I literally did this to two of my girlfriends the other day. I said, I know you guys were only joking and it was only playing around, but it actually hurt my feelings. And do you mind if we don't joke about that anymore? And they were like, oh my goodness, we are so sorry. I can't believe, you know, like we love you so much. And it was over in 30 seconds. Exactly. And we could move on and our friendship is stronger and more evolved and better because of that. And that's like, that's where I'm at in my life right now. And I think a lot of people, when they have a blip or whatever you want to call it, they think that, okay, well, that's obviously not meant to be. So I'm going to delete that friend when that's just such a missed opportunity to go deeper. Totally. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, you can look at these things as big problems or unpleasant and they might not feel good, but it's an opportunity. And the opportunity, again, on the other side of that to show up for yourself and be honest and in this example, say, you know, that really hurt, that hurt my feelings. I know you were joking, but to communicate that how you were feeling, to be vulnerable in sharing how you were feeling on the other side of that big growth opportunity, right? As you said, feeling tighter, feeling more connected, feeling more seen. These are these are the interactions, you know, you want to really lean into because if you have the confidence, if you have the courage, there's just a wealth of riches on the other side of that. Absolutely. I want to read a little section from the book that I absolutely loved. And you say, if a friendship ends and you view it as a failure or a waste of time, you've missed the point and done a great disservice to both of you. Start viewing the end as a relationship that has run its course, not one that has been an object of failure. So this is really important because I know for me in the past, when a relationship has ended, I've felt like I failed. I've felt like, oh my gosh, shouldn't all friendships be forever? Shouldn't all friendships be a lifetime friendships that season, reason, a lifetime? And I felt like I did something wrong or I failed. So I love this and it really hit home for me. So can we talk about that? Yeah, I mean, th- this is the thing, like when we have friendships, especially ones that we've had since we were younger, you know, in the kind of earlier iterations of ourselves, often those relationships are very formative. They were very strong at one point, but as humans, we are evolving and often we go on different paths and not one that's better or worse, just different. And so it's hard to stay connected in the same way we were, you know, when we were going through this, we were at the same life stage, we were going through, maybe it's a first job, maybe you're in college together. And these are really formative bonding experiences, right? Where you really connect with people deeply. And then maybe you go, you move away, or you have a different career, or you do this, you just do a different path. And the thing is, what can happen is if the friendship ends, and you understand there are two things. You can either drift apart from somebody and they from you, and you're basically both on the same page, at least subconsciously, and you just kind of float into, you know, a different ether than there. Or what can happen is you go in different directions. And then one of the two of you is still trying to connect, is still trying to make plans, is still, you know, calling you and wants to message you and chat, and you're just not there, right? And so what can happen is, Instead of just confronting that and dealing with it directly, of course, with love, kind of saying, you know, talking about, you know, just not having the bandwidth in the same way you did before. What happens is instead of having the love and the respect and the warm memories of this relationship that you 
you should, because they were, you know, this person was around in a very formative time in your life. What ends up happening is you start being irritated. You start feeling guilt because you don't want to hang out with the same, you know, frequency of this other person. You're not on the same page. And these negative feelings then become the dominant memory, the dominant emotion associated with this friendship. And so if we could just look at friendship or the ending of certain friendships as this is just a relationship that ran its course and that is okay we are people that are changing we, as we are not signing up we're not signing a paper we're not having a commitment ceremony like we are in romantic relationships we are not blood relative or blood bound like we are in family relationships so it is okay to say where we both were at a certain period of time was magical and now we're in different places and that's also okay but let's just be clear on it so that we don't have this kind of friction and, as I said, guilt or irritation or feeling disappointed or let down, depending on where you, if you're the one that's reaching out or you're the one that doesn't want to engage, because that just sours the whole relationship, right? Or the, the memory of the whole relationship. So if we could just view this in a different way, which is the reality of the situation, I think we could have such a healthier view of the end, you know, and it doesn't have to be because there was some huge failing. It's just, we started to orbit in different circles and that's okay. I like to do this little exercise. Whenever a relationship has run its course, for me, I like to do a little exercise where I write down everything that I learned from that person or everything I'm grateful for. Right. And it's a beautiful little exercise to do because now when I think of that person, I think of those things. I think, oh, wow, like, oh, that memory, or I'll write down beautiful little memories that I had or little lessons that I learned from them. And it's just such a beautiful way to tie a bow around that relationship. Exactly. And that's what you want to do. Because what's the alternative that you stay locked in that version of yourself that you were 10 years ago? Well, that sounds also terrible. That sounds way worse than having an honest conversation about getting out of the relationship, you want to be all evolving, you want to be growing. And if you are evolving and growing, then naturally, you are going to split off from other people. And again, it's not because they're going in a worse direction than you. It's just a different direction. And that's okay. And so you want to be able to have kind of closure around these situations and a different perspective on the ending, so that you can then really cherish all of the positive ways and experiences this friendship has given you and has impacted you. Absolutely. In the book, you talk about how a child's ability to make friends and handle the ups and downs of friendships is influenced by their connection to their primary caregiver. Since having a baby, I am so fascinated by this topic. So how can we make sure that we have a strong connection with our children so that they can make friends as they grow up and handle these ups and downs of friendships? Yeah. So the first part of this is that it's really great information to have. And as you know, I have a chapter of first friendships in the book because understanding how you were kind of brought into the world, and that's called your attachment style in the you know therapy space, is really important to understand how you're operating out in your current relationships. And what that means is when you're born and you have primary caregivers, usually traditionally they're mother and father. So I'm going to say mother and father or mother and mother, but you've got usually one or two people taking care of you. And what that means is they're meeting your basic needs. They are feeding you. They are making sure you're clothed. They're making sure you get sunlight and, you know, the ability to play. And 
in a perfect scenario, that is called a secure attachment, right? You have a secure attachment to these caregivers, but that is not enough the case. And sometimes for whatever reason, caregivers are not there. They're not there emotionally. They are creating an environment that is insecure and that creates an insecure attachment, right? And then there is the, uh, the there is this scenario where one or both of the caregivers literally disappear and then that child goes into a foster situation or whatever. That is avoidant attachment. And if you can under look back and understand really, you know, what your kind of upbringing w- was, especially in those very early years, it can give so much insight into how you are behaving in your current relationships. The good news is that even if you did not have a secure attachment when you were first born, having the knowledge about that and really being able to work on that and understanding where your own kind of insecurities are coming from, you can actually turn that around. It is the awareness piece that is very, very important there. So that's really good information for how you you are showing up in your own current friendships and relationships, right? It's good for all of the relationships across the board. When you have a child, a small child or a young child, you know, what you want to understand is that all of the ways you interact with this child influence them for the rest of their lives. And so it's extremely important to be able to meet needs, to be able to allow that child to have a voice, for that child to express their own version, you know, as they get older, to be able to really express who they are, not be suffocating and putting your own kind of demands and your own expectations on that child. You want them to be as free to express all of these things as you can. And then you also want to be able to put as firm boundaries around them because when you model giving boundaries, then they can take that out into the world and create their own firm boundaries. And that's what you really want to be able to impart on your child because boundaries and creating boundaries in all, you know, in your career and your romantic with all of your relationships, boundaries are really important. And, um, because they set up kind of who you are and they, they suggest to the world how you, how you want to be treated. And we teach people how to treat us. And so that ability to create firm boundaries is really important. So you want to create a very firm boundary with your child, but within that boundary, allow them to do whatever the heck they want. So express, 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 as long as you've also created a clear boundary, because that's what makes children feel very safe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love all of the stuff you talk about with first friendships and how our childhood friendships lay the foundation for our ability to accept and tolerate new people throughout our life. So I also love that you talk about that. And I love that you say that friendship is a muscle and it grows with exercise. And when we build them in childhood, we'll take them into adulthood. Like it's just, yeah, you know, it starts right at the beginning. It starts at the very beginning. And like you said, awareness is key. If we can have awareness on our attachment style, we can then shift it. And you could even openly and lovingly communicate that with, you know, some open friends. Totally. I had an interaction, you know, just a couple of months ago with a colleague of mine and who's now also a good friend. And she's very social. She doesn't have children. And, you know, she has more free time to go out and hang out. And she's constantly inviting me to things, texting me, sending me invites to this art thing and this, you know, to drinks thing or this, whatever. And I'm always happy to get, I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, wow. And I say no to almost all of them. I said, no, I can't make it, whatever. But I'm happy to get the invite. You know, it's happy to, I'm happy to feel wanted. And she 
texted me the other day and she said, I just want to make sure that me sending you all of these invites, it's not annoying to you. And I was like, oh no, not at all. I mean, send away, just know that I'm going to say no to 95% of them. I will say yes to a couple. For sure, I guarantee you, I will say yes, but I'm going to say no to 95% of them. And if you're okay with that, then invite away. And so she said, okay, great. And then two days later, she called me and she said, you know, Aaron, I was thinking about this. And actually, when I asked you if it was irritating to you, if I was sending you all these things and you were saying no, I realized it was actually irritating to me that I was sending you these things and I feel like you're constantly rejecting me. And when I thought about why I know you're not rejecting me as a person, I know this, we're good friends, it started to dawn on me that I actually have a very insecure attachment And what had happened in her life is both her father and sister died very suddenly within six months of each other. And so she has this this need to be validated and for somebody to say, I'm showing up for you. I'm showing up for you. I'm showing, yes, I'm showing up for you. And she's like, and I just wanted to communicate to you. I had this epiphany about my own self and I wanted to share. I kind of have this sensitive issue. And it was this unbelievable kind of awakening. And I was like, Oh my God, thank you for sharing this with me. This makes so much sense. I didn't want you to feel like I was being callous when I said, you know, 95% of the time I'm going to say no. I just, my real point in that was that I was like, I will say yes. It just has to kind of work for me. And anyways, we had this great conversation about this and I was so happy. I think she was happy that she had this kind of epiphany and I was really happy she shared it with me. And your relationship went deeper. Yes. A hundred percent. I have just another layer of understanding about her and also how we can relate to one another. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. What are you working on within yourself at the moment or would like to improve when it comes to friendships? Yeah, I'm still really working on this piece of being able to show up with with some vulnerability. I mean, it's easy for me to say that I and I do have the awareness around my own shortcoming, but it is still a work in progress. And I kind of, I always find myself, even you can hear as I'm talking about it, I'm like, you know, I lead with confidence always. And then we're talking about this and I'm kind of struggling to find my words. And, and so this is just a muscle I'm really practicing and it makes me super uncomfortable. Uh, but, you know, I know that it's necessary. And so I'm fine. I'm actively looking for ways or opportunities when I feel you know, when I feel upset or really overwhelmed, again, like I have, you know, the reputation of being somebody, especially for my first book that, you know, has got everything together, has got life together. But I really do get overwhelmed sometimes. And I'm learning to like share that and understand that it's like, just because I literally wrote the book on this doesn't mean that I don't run up against it. It's not like, you know, you've got it unlocked. These are things you need to constantly practice and work at. And so I'm working at sharing that you know, more. And it's still challenging. You know, it doesn't feel quite natural yet for me to do that. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Let's pretend you have a magic wand now and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Besides your books, which should absolutely be. And your books. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. They should all be in the curriculum. What is one other book that you would choose? And it could be on any topic. I really like, well, I'm hesitating only because they might be in some curriculum. I really still love a lot of two of Malcolm Gladwell's books, The Tipping Point and Outliers. And why I like, you know, The Tipping Point, I think is really a book that everybody should read because 
So many people, when you're thinking about big dreams or like really going after something big, we talk ourselves out of it because we say, I'll just never be that talented. I'll just, you know, these people are born with these things. And that book really outlines that there is actually, again, like a mathematical formula around this 10,000 hours that it is impossible to achieve great success without putting 10,000 hours into something, literally 10,000 hours. And if, but if you can put 10,000 hours into something, you will be a success. You will be an authority. You will be one of the top people there, regardless of whether it's writing a book, performing a, a ballet recital, whether it's, you know, looking at new financial models. And so there's this idea that if you just really put the work in, you can do anything. And I think even though that number 10,000 hours is daunting, I think that it's such a good way to, you know, offset the fears that you might have that people are just born in a certain way. Nobody is born just being able to play, you know, the fifth symphony, you know, nobody. There are 10,000 hours behind that. It's also a great litmus test. Is this something I really want to do? Because you can't just put 10,000 hours into something you learn pretty quickly this is not, I can't do this for another second. Okay. That just means it's not for you. It doesn't mean that you don't have the talent. You got to find the thing that you're willing to put the 10,000 hours into and you will be the best. So it's about discipline and these things are really possible. Again, it's a numbers game. Absolutely. Can you share your day with us, your morning routine and how you prime yourself for the day, all your little rituals and routines that you do? Sure. So I actually get up kind of late. I get up, I mean, late considering I have a child. I get up probably like between 7.30 and 8. I get up with my son. So when he wakes up, I wake up. I get him kind of set and then I go and meditate for 15 minutes. And by, sorry, I should say when I get him set, I mean, I hand him off to my husband after giving him like cuddles and welcoming, you know, saying good morning. Then my husband goes and makes him a smoothie and kind of, you know, engages with my son for 15 to 20 minutes. And that's when I go and meditate and I go meditate every morning. Then after that, I come, I make breakfast after, you know, my son will have a smoothie and then we'll sit down, we'll have breakfast. And then he gets driven to school by my husband and I come start looking at my emails, do my work. I have a nap every day at around sometime between two to four. I sleep for 30 minutes. And every single night, unless I stay out past 10, which I literally never do, I have a bath. And people always say to me, how is it possible that you wake up kind of late, you take 20 minutes to meditate, you take a nap for 30 minutes in the day, and you take a bath every night? How do you get everything done that you get done? And I say, I could not get everything I get done done without doing these. I just know myself, I crash at three o'clock. And if I don't, find a way to, you know, if I don't take a nap, there's no getting back up for me in a creative way. I mean, I'm not like, but I can't function. I can't produce in the way that I know that I can if I don't rest. And so sleep is really valuable to me as you can see, as you can see, but yeah, I don't have a big morning routine other than I meditate every morning. Beautiful. I love it. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Yes. What's one thing that we can do today for our health? Well, you have to find 15 to 20 minutes a day, whether it's meditation or not, but to turn the volume completely down to zero on the chaos. Without this, there's no accessing your inner voice. Everybody has the answers within them, but it is incumbent upon you 
to hear them. And the only way you can do that is to turn the volume down on the chaos for 15 to 20 minutes every single day. Yes, I agree. What's one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life, so more abundance in all areas of our life? I think just being not getting as clear as you can on who you are, right? And again, that comes through that chaos part. That's very related to the first question. And then finding the courage to just advocate for yourself and stand up for yourself every chance you can and being really clear to the outside world about who you are and where you want to go. And all of a sudden, energy starts shifting. People start understanding what they can and cannot get from you. And there's a lot of respect in that. And people want to be around that because it's, it's a seemingly hard thing to do. But it's a magnetic thing if you can get a handle on it. And so the things that you want to attract in your life start to be magnetized when you start operating out of a place of authenticity. This is where personal power comes from. People want to be around that. And so that's the quickest way you can get to wealth and abundance. I love that. And final one, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? I think, you know, again... You want to be loving to people and be kind to people. And out of that, I think love is born. I think love is the door. People understand that the doors are open for love. I think acting and behaving with empathy and compassion bring empathy and compassion. And so you kind of want to model, you know, the behavior you want for the world. And in that, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity to receive love, right? You also need to be open to love. And if you are not open to love, what kind of work do you need to do on yourself to become open to love? A lot of times there's love around us, but we are not open to it. And so you want to operate as openly as possible. That's a place that you are vulnerable, but it's in the vulnerability again, where you find strength. And so Yeah, I would say that. And one thing I wanted to say from before, I think, especially now more than ever, you need to find, this isn't necessarily about love, but you need to find humor. We are so heavy and so serious. And I really noticed this in the pandemic, which obviously was like, it's a very crazy time, but just basic, like, look at a comedy sketch on YouTube, find a comedian that resonates with you. Literally that basic. We need to laugh every day. We need to practice laughing. And get out of this serious, like, and it's hard to do, but it's, it's so necessary. A thousand percent. I totally agree with you. Laughter is the best medicine. It truly is. It is. So go and laugh and get your hugs in as well because hugs are also really good medicine. Yes. (laughs) This has been so amazing. I've loved our conversation so much. I love your book. I highly recommend everyone go and get it. I will link to it in the show notes. If you want to be a better friend, if you want to be the best version of yourself, then grab this book. And I want to thank you so much for all the work that you do in the world, for helping and serving and inspiring so many people and for coming on the show again for the second time. You're amazing. So how can we give back and serve you today? What can we do to give back to you? Oh, I mean, I'd love anybody listening to check out the book. When you do, you can always DM me. I respond to I think everybody. So I'm at Erin Falconer and I'd love to start the conversation and then keep it going. Yes. Beautiful. Oh, thank you so much for being here. 
I adore you and our time together and all of your wisdom. So thank you so much for being here and everything that you shared today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I am always looking for ways that I can show up more and be more in all areas of my life and especially in my friendships. So I got so much out of her book and out of this conversation and I really hope that you did too. And I hope you're walking away with some tools, tips and tricks on how you can be a better friend. And if you did, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. And please come and connect with me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and share with me what you got from this episode. I absolutely love connecting with you and I love hearing from you. And if you see me walking in the streets, please come up and say hello. I absolutely love meeting you guys in person. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you and for your friends. You're amazing. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.